This is Before the Fade, brought to you by Street Lamp Media. This podcast is a family-friendly listen to some of our favorite songs and a deep dive behind the scenes to learn about the people who made the music and just what makes a classic so special. My name is Angel. I'm the son of a musician, and I played the saxophone growing up in and around Southern California. I've turned into a writer, director, and filmmaker, and I have an obsession with all things music, specifically what happens during and after fades. This podcast explores what happens during the song, before it fades out and we can't hear any more of that goodness. Stay tuned for the documentary, After the Fade, where we explore what happens during and after all the popular songs that fade on some really cool musical stuff. We sit down with producers, engineers, and the artists themselves to listen to and get the stories behind what happened after they decided for the radio edits to fade to zero. today's episode, we have traveled not very far. <laughs> just a stone's throw away from the Hollywood Bowl, we are just up the hill from my place. We're here to have a chat with a legend of the Bay Area's underground hip-hop club scene in the 90s, who has gone on to become quite well-known in the electronic music space, having performed at some of the biggest electronic music festivals in the United States for quite a while now. So get ready, because today I'm sitting down with Michelle, DJ Lady Sinclair. We're going to talk about a few songs that have specific meaning to her that you just might recognize. One from the mid-90s, and then one from the late aughts, I believe. And they're both dance classics. So today I'm pretty excited. We've got a, uh, a local, a neighbor, basically. You live just up the hill from me. Um, in Hollywood, yeah. we've got Michelle... <laughs> DJ Lady Sinclair with us. Yay! Yeah, so give us a little bit of an intro on yourself, who you oh. are, where you're coming from, what you're doing now. All right, well, I'm Michelle Sinclair, also known as Lady Sinclair. Um, I've been a DJ for a really, really long time. I usually don't say how long because then I'll date myself. Yeah, let's not, let's not date ourselves. <laughs> um, but I could really date myself if I want. Let's say... I'll put it this way, more than 20 years. Oh, wow. I mean, I got my turntables a long time ago. Were That's they, how old I am. Were I they real vinyl? Turntables. Real, real vinyl. Real vinyl. No way. Okay, so you just <laughs> dated yourself, but that's a cool thing. I think it's a cool thing, you know? I think that um, I've been DJing a long time, and I'm in a point in my life and my career where I'll just represent it for the future in the um, quote-unquote <laughs> older folks. Older folks, older <laughs> folks unite. I think there's a room full of older folks here. With, yeah. With, I'll speak for myself, not for my producer. <laughs> Sorry. Did I just put my foot in my mouth there? No, no, no. A little bit. <laughs> um, great. So where are you from originally? Uh, so born and raised in Los Angeles. Okay. I am a thoroughbred of LA and I still live here. And one day, maybe I'll go live someplace else, I hope. But I for now, it's brought me up. Have you ever yeah. lived anywhere else? San Francisco for my college years. Okay, so for four, four and a half years or whatever, you were up in the Bay yeah. Area. But... Actually, I lived there for six years. Oh, very yeah. cool. Couple That's years where after I school. really started DJing was in San Francisco. Was there a good scene? That was a different life. That was all. It was a really, in, that was when I was really, really into hip hop music. I only DJed hip hop. I was pretty strict about what I DJed. No pop, no R&B, just hip hop and reggae and... um it was fun. Who, <laughs> who were some of your like, who, who would fit into the hip hop only category that wasn't like pop? Like would Will Smith be too poppy to be hip hop? Way too pop. Okay. So we did the side rooms. So we'd get, we'd get booked to do the clubs and we'd always be in the side room, never in the main room. Okay. So that gave you a little bit more leeway to pick some lesser known artists and not play the mainstream yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So give me a couple artist names that you liked and always would play. Well, it's interesting at the time, at that time. So when I started, I was in college. I was running the college radio station because someone told me like, look, just join the music. When he left the music director at the college radio station, he's like, you should do this because all you do is call all the record labels and they're going to just send you vinyl. And I was like, really? So I did. And I called every record label at the time. College radio was huge 
for record labels and there was a college radio department. There was a rep at every label and I would just get all the underground hip hop every week would get delivered. And then I would go pick it up and just take it straight out to the club. So it was like, you wouldn't even play it at the college radio station. You take it for personal use. (laughs) And at that time, I mean, at that time I was getting, so like in the mail, I was getting like the most deaf and Talib Kuli. What was this? Why am I blanking on what they their their duo was called? Um, let's look it up because I should know that name, <laughs> so but I don't. No, it's all and good. Then, That's what you know. You were for. getting like the Outcast. I remember the first time getting Erica Badu on a white label, and I was like, "What is this?" And then I put it on, and I was like, "This woman's amazing." You know, like stuff like that was happening, and then you'd go play it out in the side rooms, and you know, kind of really get to experiment. So we got Black Star. Black Star, thank you. Black Star, we got Outcast. Yes. Erica Badu, and you're spinning all these and on then, vinyl. And of course, you could go into, at the time, the classics were like Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, blah, but all the new stuff too. Like, I love ratchet hip hop as well, so. <laughs> and I was in the Bay Area, and I quickly fell into line with that as well. Some Bay Area stuff. So <laughs> I've only ever lived in Southern California, so I'm... I'm I'm versed in the the scene down here. What was the hip hop club scene like in the Bay Area then? Uh, it was fun. We had a good time. I mean, we kind of rolled out with like a lot of skaters and then a lot of the like DJ crew people. There was a lot of the turntable lists and they were the purists, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was fun. We had a lot of fun. There was a mix of like it going a little bit to um into the like realm of danger, you know, like a lot of crews rolling in and you're just like, Oh God, it's getting a little bit too heated in here tonight. Really? You know, Up in the like Bay that. area. Oh yeah. Cause it coming from what Oakland. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, cause you had, well, <laughs> well in the area that we would do the clubs, which is downtown San Francisco, you'd have like people from the mission and then the crews, if it got too crewy in there, it was, it would, could be a little bit scary one night. So I was working, I was interning at KMEL at the radio station. Um, and this, one of the DJs was like, Hey, do you want to like cover for me this weekend? And I said, of course. And they're like, okay, but it's like a strip club. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Like I would love to play at a strip club. I love your response is <laughs> like, yes. I'd be like, wait a second. What bamboozle are He's you pulling? Like, well, cause he was like, I don't want to offend you. Cause you know, you're a woman. I was like, no, like that sounds fun. So I go to the strip club. It's in Hunter's Point. If you're familiar with the area, you know. And this wasn't even a real club. Wait, it for was, those who aren't familiar with the area, is Hunter because Hunter Point Hunter's Point sounds fancy to me. Is it it's not? It's not very fancy. I mean, there's a strip club, so maybe I'm an idiot because who puts a <laughs> well, strip club here, in a fancy It wasn't really actually a strip club. It was a sports bar that on Friday nights they had strippers come. And it was like wild. Okay. And it was so much fun. This is so amazing. much fun. This is amazing. <laughs> it was so much fun. And then the next day, like that next week when I went into my little internship, he's like, so how was it? And I was like, yeah, you, you really painted it lightly as being a strip club. It was wild. It was, it was fun though. Did you ever have any instances um, where crews rolled up and things got heated to a point where like you had to be like, yo, yo, like, you know, record scratch, stop the music calm like chill out yo we gotta yeah. like where you were the voice of reason for all the like crazy oh, at the time i was too shy to get on the microphone but the other guys were oh, okay yeah so, so things popped off oh yeah oh, well usually there was times where they just shut down the night and it was wow. done wow that's hardcore the night was done yeah wow but that was like i don't know i feel like when you're young um you're and you're just like i want to do the club scene i want to be at warehouse parties you kind of don't think about where you're at or the risk you're putting yourself into you just want to dance and have a good time yeah i i remember that being 20 21 22 23 and being like no we're just going out dancing it doesn't matter that there was a shooting here last week oh yeah or like where the warehouse party is this week is in some total so i recently did a dj a pretty big gig in downtown la okay and we went down there to do you know do the party and it's like right in downtown not off in the middle of nowhere and it was mayhem and i was like i don't know if i ever want to drive to downtown la (laughs) ever again i'm gonna uber in and uber out if i have to do it because of because of like yeah it's 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 wild it's like a movie it's like there's clubs happening and people coming and going and then the street is just like absolute mayhem 
of like anything goes. My friend's window got broken into, all her stuff got stolen. And it was like people, one lady was selling, (laughs) you know, they sell hot dogs, but this other lady was selling homemade cocktails and glass jars. And I was like, as amazing as that sounds, because it's in a glass jar, I am not buying a homemade cocktail. She was just coming down the street at two in the morning, like homemade cocktails. I mean, it's just wild. For those of you not on the West Coast or near <laughs> LA, LA, downtown LA has devolved mm-hmm. into something out of a movie. I, I want to say Waterworld. What's yeah. the movie that was took place on land, though? It's not Waterworld. Oh, Mad Max. Yeah. It's like a Mad Max movie down it, there. It's basically. like Mad Max. Yeah. Same outfit. Same outfit. <laughs> Between the homeless people and everything. Yeah. And the people coming out of the clubs. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it's crazy. So was this your, one of your first big outings downtown after like the COVID era where everybody no. was in the house for two years? Oh, my gosh. My first big outing after COVID was straight up just going into a festival. Which festival? We went to Nocturnal Wonderland. It was about uh, in 2021. Okay. Straight into like thousands of people and just being like, okay, well... <laughs> Here we are. Let's we're doing it. Was it a fun show though? It was fun. It's you know, two day festival house techno. It was fun. Awesome. I think I think I've seen some videos of your husband oh, yeah. dancing at that one. Is that is that, that some was of the EDC. Stuff? So that was the that next was EDC. big one. Oh, that was the next big one. Okay. Yeah, we just went straight from zero to hero. Like from like, oh I don't know, like let's go to like little bars and and then we were just in festivals. Just, out. just like, okay. Thousands of people. COVID's over, let's go. <laughs> amazing weird times though how was it being cooped up for those two years not being able to perform or were you trying to do small gigs here and there during COVID? no i mean there was definitely nothing happening for a very long time i think i curled in a ball and cried for a while because it was like um everything was lined up that 2020 season that summer season was a really really busy time and you know when you psych yourself out preparing yourself for like a run of whatever you're doing and it just stopped and I was like I don't know what to do with myself um I couldn't even get myself to do live streaming which is what a lot of DJs did Mm, yeah and I know people that like jumped into live streaming and actually like came out of the pandemic really kind of popular and built themselves up and created a following I couldn't even do that I was just like what do I do with my life Uh." but actually towards the end of the pandemic one of the the things that happened for me was since everything stopped I turned to something I was never able to do which was to go back to school for music production that's amazing yeah I tried it was uh something I just couldn't do with my schedule and I was like you know what I'm going to be sitting around and everything's online. I'm going to take a music production class. Mm -hmm. So you started with spinning actual vinyl. Yeah. Probably sometime in the (laughs) 90s. Yep. Um, And after, you know, many, many years doing that and then, you know, getting married, raising a family, you had a break with COVID to actually go and do some music production studies. And then what is that? done for the next chapter of your career (laughs) well i hope it's always been a dream of mine to like put music out um and so i kind of wrote it off for a while i mean i have friends of mine who are like oh you still are trying to learn ableton like i was trying to help you out with that 10 years ago like i know but so in one you know six months i did this online course i finished it and now i'm just like building and practicing and kind of putting together what i think are, are pretty good songs bravo <laughs> collaborating with you. people and hopefully you know um looking to put something out soon so you've been working on what would you call them just uh personal projects until you're ready to like release something big to the world yeah so i think one of the things that like my teachers were saying was like you're gonna love what you're doing now and then you're gonna listen to it two months later and you're gonna hate it so it's like just keep making stuff just keep making stuff just keep making stuff just keep working on it this was um an electronic music based program where you learned ableton um and so as opposed to like you know learning guitar and how to like produce bands sure yeah and um uh so I know that like in the world that I'm in, there's two worlds, right? There's me as a DJ and the world that I'm in there. And then there's, we have a company where we cater to private events. I call that the blue collar DJ. Like, what do you want me to play? I've got a big, (laughs) I have a huge, you know, 
playlist of songs like what do you want at your party sure yeah right it's my bread and butter and then there's like where i'm at creatively which is more like in electronic music um and house and disco and so so sonically i'm just trying to like learn how to make sounds and learn how to use a synthesizer and where does that take me and making beats and then creating a song and hopefully having someone enjoy it enough that they'll help me put it out <laughs> what a cool place to be yeah what a cool journey you've been on and yeah. you're, you're looking I'm at excited. a new chapter yeah and so to be excited after doing you know this for so many years yep. it's got to be rewarding is the way oh, i think totally. about it. you're like oh there's like still reward to be had and found in this like career you've got totally which is great yeah. Now I noticed you've got a necklace on. You've got a couple necklaces oh, yeah. on. And one of them says Chicago. Yeah. Uh, does it have some special meaning to you? It does. Would you like to share with the people who maybe <laughs> maybe uh, don't know um, some of your, your background, why that has yeah. meaning to you? Yeah. So, well, my dad, my father was the, one of the original members of the band Chicago. This necklace was actually my mom's necklace. Wow. All the ladies had them made back in the day. Um. Yeah, so he was the original guitarist of the band Chicago. Um, One of the founding members was with them until his passing in 1978. Oh, wow. And he, in that time frame, they put out, I think they got to, oh my God, anyone that's listening that's a Chicago fan is going to tear me apart. But I think we got to Chicago 10 or 11 before his passing. So some of their greatest stuff. In my opinion, yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people. I mean, there's opinions. some good '80s tracks, but I feel yeah, like yeah. the '80s is the '80s. It's more like I love this song, but you know, there's a little bit. It's very different than what happened. Yeah. Prior, and in fact, my favorite thing to say is my dad passed away in this in in that you know late '70s. We have all that early Chicago stuff. And then I think that Chicago is trying to figure out like, what do we do? How do we fill this gap? And so they found a guitarist and they came out with their album. That's basically trying to be a disco album, mm-hmm. but that, tra- that album has street player on it. Um, sung by Peter Cetera, which is probably one of the most sampled songs. Street Player was the opening song on the Chicago 13 album from 1979, the group's 11th studio album. The song was released as a single but failed to chart, which is ironic given that it was sampled by the American house group The Bucketheads in their 1995 hit, The Bomb, These Sounds Fall Into My Mind, which reached number 5 on the UK charts, number 49 on Billboard's Hot 100, and was ranked by Rolling Stone as number 77 of the 200 greatest dance songs of all time. The song was sampled again in 2009 by Pitbull for his hit, I Know You Want Me, Calle Ocho, and became his first international hit, finally cementing his status as Mr. Worldwide. Originally, the song was recorded in 1978 by Rufus, led by Shaka Khan herself, an artist I cover in an upcoming episode with Bob Brockman. Well, now that now that you're producing your own music, would that sample ever cross your desk do you think would you ever want to well, like i don't need to everyone's done it yeah. i don't there's no need for me to do it again would you ever think about reaching into their catalog and maybe sampling something yeah because you've got arguably a, a stronger connection to their early stuff <laughs> to some other things to, yeah it's a lot of their stuff i mean you know by lineage but that's... it's hard because it's like the way that they did it which i think is like genius but also i imagine must be hard on any band that progresses over time and stays together. There was seven band members. They did a seven split in terms of creativity, um, to be fair. So it's like, there's an equal amount of writing. And then who was like at the forefront of the singing, the singers of that time. So you have people, you know, like you're like, Oh, Robert Lamb, Peter Cetera. Mm -hmm. And my dad sang a bunch of songs. And then if you look at who wrote them, it's pretty mixed for the mm-hmm. 70s stuff. So it's interesting because um, I did a documentary about my dad. What's <laughs> called, it called? Called the Terry Kath Experience. Terry Kath Experience. Okay, we'll um, check that out. And uh, in getting the music rights for the songs, even if it was songs that I wanted to heavily feature songs my dad wrote, um, 
they're still owned by Chicago. The masters are still owned by, um, in that catalog. And so it's like, even though I can try to pick songs that were my dad's, the songs that everyone knows weren't really produced or written by my dad. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, except for, you know, people that are Chicago fans and listen to the music. Yeah. yeah. They know. (laughs) Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, So he wasn't around much then through your adolescence. No, I was three when he passed. Okay. Yeah. So for the first three years of your life, you probably had a musical influence in your environment. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, I don't know how much you remember when you were three or younger. I don't remember anything, but... Similarly, I had my father playing yeah. his guitar around the house my, in, until he passed away in 98. Um, do you think that played a, an influence on you? For sure. But I also really believe that these kind of things are innate in our genes. Like they're in your DNA. Like it was passed down from your oh, parents. Oh, for sure. Because oh. the thing about my dad's side of the family is his mom grew up on, both of his parents grew up on farms in Illinois and Wisconsin. And both of his parents had, well, his mom had a lot of siblings. And the big thing there is they all had to learn an instrument so at the end of working on the day of the farm, it's like everyone was jamming. So that was something they had to pass on to my dad. Mm-hmm. So there was always instruments in the family. And in when people got together, everyone played. So when my father passed, I spent a lot of time with her, his mom. And she was she just always had me at a piano. Wow. And I just think that even though she passed when I was young as well, I just think that like, I, I don't play an instrument. I never learned any instrument taking piano now though. Bravo. Trying to, trying hey. to play catch up. <laughs> good on, good on you. Keep those, uh, the neural pathways, you yeah. know, elastic, right? Um, uh, I feel like it's just in there, like your passion or love for music or your ability to pick something up or not. I mean, of course you can train yourself. You can definitely retrain your brain. Yeah. But but having those influences and and there's probably a genetic component. I, I don't have the sophistication to do any <laughs> genetic testing just yeah. yet. I'm working on it. I'm not working on it. Um, but just the, to have the early influences, right? Mm-hmm. Your father for a few years, your grandmother, yeah. like the other family, like yeah. knowing that your father was in one of the largest groups of the era and yeah. like having that music be around and people mm-hmm. like aware of that probably had some influence as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's a gift. Yeah. And I think that, when people come to it later in life, you know, if they, oh, you know, we're learning how to play instruments in school, you know, if they don't have any influences at home, it's a lot more difficult and a and longer journey because they haven't had that initial, yeah. you know, introduction to it. Well, I'm learning piano and I can't for the life of me, like if the the song I'm learning isn't in front of me, I can't just play it. Like if I see a piano when I'm out in the world, I'm like, what the hell is that song I'm playing? You know? And like yeah. my kids who've been playing piano can get on any piano and play. And I'm like, oh, that's the difference. Like it is a little bit harder when you're, you know, not young to have it all sink in. But I think learning new skills has been proven to, you know, Mm -hmm. help with neuroelasticity to ward off all sorts of like cognitive decline um, as we age. So at the very least, you know, challenging yourself in that way, it's good. And then who knows, another year or so you might be releasing like your own piano, (laughs) your own piano music that you sample. Maybe. Oh, well, yeah, that's a thing for sure. You know, Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, my, my producer Leah is uh, pointing to something silently. Oh yeah, do you do you still have your oh. college vinyl collection? I do. <laughs> and h- how vast is it? It's pretty well. It's interesting. Again, like I said, I was the hip hop college music director. Okay. At one point, I was like, I need to downsize my collection, and it was like so much. Well, because I was getting what they did when you were a DJ in the hip hop world, you got doubles and they're like, I'm going to send you two. So then you got four sometimes. And sometimes these singles I like look look through and I was like, I don't need to keep all of this. I'm never going to be a vinyl battle DJ at this point in my life. So I actually sold a lot um, at one point and it didn't, didn't, doing me any damage um <laughs> but yeah i still have my collection is it is it do you have it here or is it like in a secret it's warehouse my ho- at my home because i haven't figured out the best place to you know when you get married and you have children and everyone has stuff 
(laughs) all of a sudden that became like not as important to have around. And it's a very hard thing. Vinyl collections, anyone who's had a, has a big vinyl collection. It's a hard thing to like have. You're like, what kind of, you know, filing cat like filing cabinet what does my cabinet look like that's storing this is it the ikea traditional like square cabinet that's the best one that thing is hella ugly where are we putting it in this room you know how are we styling when you start caring about how your house is styled so for the time being it's in storage safely put away which is which is good for now um, and I hope to one day somehow incorporate it back into our home so that we can at least play vinyl. So Sometimes. you don't have... I have a small collection here. Okay, and, so you have yeah. some here and you have a vinyl player, a uh, record player here. Yeah, we have a nice record player, like, you know, the lo-fi vibes with the tube amps and all that. But Yeah, what made the cut to the home collection? Honestly, what made the cut to the home collection when we moved was uh gigs so like being like oh can you come play vinyl someplace and i'd have to go into my storage and start pulling records and then while i was there i was like oh maybe i'll pull you know some records and then i thought well i should get a little um a little little record cabinet for the record player and the tube amp system and the you know whatever and then um also buying anything new like i bought a couple new pieces of vinyl like tame and paula and um caribou and some like new things that i thought were cool when i was at out and that's really it where did where do you <laughs> buy vinyl these days because Ami- um, amoeba's done right no amoeba's still here still it's, at its location it's a new location oh amoeba exists still yeah but, amoeba okay. and there's some great mm-hmm. record stores around and like honestly like secondhand shops are really good but like if there's something really specific and i like come across it and i have to have it Amazon, not Amazon, but you know, the, the internet. internet. Yeah. Okay. You know, so it's pretty good. In one of my, in one of the first podcast episodes we did, I had to, uh, try to describe what a vinyl record was because, oh because some people don't know, like if their wow. parents don't have vinyl in the, in the, in the home wow. and they've only had MP3s. I can't right? even imagine. <laughs> so, so describing like you oh have to God. get, uh, and, and I think I described it as like a black flat Frisbee like disc with grooves in it anyway. But the, but the, the accessories that go along with vinyl, you need a player then you need like yeah. a cabinet to store the things that has the speakers <laughs> yeah. in it, right? It's not just like yeah. music on your phone or in your device. Yeah. Um, and people are so used to just putting music on, like putting their phone on. Yeah. And just putting it to the side and being like, we're listening to music. They, they like put it in a bowl or something to so like amplify yeah. if they don't have a exactly. Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I think Leah's done before. Hey, it works. <laughs> but like with vinyl, you need like a robust system, you know? You need a yeah. whole... Yeah. And with the tube amp system, oh my God, and like getting it all plugged in, I was kind of like, at first I was kind of annoyed. I'm like, aren't we beyond this now that like, it doesn't really make a difference, you know, but it is fun and it is tactile. And when you're sitting around having wine with friends and you put your vinyl on, you know, yeah, it is fun. All right. So you sent me a couple playlists the other day. Oh. I was like, Hey, what's one popular song? You're like, nah, it's too much. That's, I can't pick one. <laughs> I got to send you some playlists. <laughs> um, and you said these playlists kind of helped inspire you from being like a music person mm-hmm. who just appreciates music, mm-hmm. probably sometime in your teens to someone who wants to do something with music. Yeah. What era was that? Well, there is definitely pre-college. So I, I okay. literally got turntables and I was like, I want to be a DJ right when I left for college. Okay. Everything before that, it was just the biggest music fan, you know? Any genre, all genres. Or were you like into well, like dance or like it's I, I know funny. You played hip hop later. I like but. all genres, but it's interesting as you as when you're a teenager and you're discovering, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, middle school times I was really into like the Pixies and Jane's Addiction mm-hmm. yeah, and the yeah. Cure and all that. <laughs> and then you get into high school and I um discovered going to undergrounds as they were called they weren't even called raves yet okay and you're just like this is amazing you know like house music and it was really underground i mean and you've just it's like explaining to someone about vinyl you're like there is no there was the radio and that's it everything else you're discovered from by your friends or 
um, the mixtape that they're putting out at the local vintage store. Yeah. You know, like that's where you discovered stuff. It or was, you go to a show or a performance where that person's Yeah, performing. and like someone's opening for someone you came to see. I mean, yeah. these are how we discovered music. You had to engage with people to discover new music. You couldn't just go to TikTok or TikTok or YouTube or, you know, have your Spotify playlist end and then you discover all yeah, the these other amazing. Yeah. The algorithm I gives mean, you some new artists. That's how we're like at. finding music now, which also is amazing because obviously people all over the world can listen to the same thing and be connected. Yeah. But that was different. You had to seek it. And then you felt really cool. You're like, felt like you knew something other people don't. And I'm going to go to the underground rave that has five passwords to get into. And then I'm going to discover cool stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> on top of it, those DJs were vinyl only. Yep. So they were going out and seeking vinyl. There was no internet. They couldn't just buy it. They, you know, it was like they had their own community going on. So you felt cool by showing up to know the DJ or hang out with the DJ because they knew something more than you. you you know, it was like, this was like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Then, um, I think after discovering like house and all that, you know, then there was hip hop and I was like sold. Like, I think tribe called the minute I heard tribe called someone gave me like a set of CDs <laughs> and it was tribe called quest de la soul think the Fushnikins and the like Fushnikins. <laughs> oh and, my and, and goodness. And Das Effects. And they were das like, effects. listen to this. And no. I was like, I'm done. I love this so much. And I, I just, <laughs> I have not heard those last two names <laughs> since the nineties. But it was, God, what a flashback. And then on top of that, with that hip hop, everybody was trying to figure out who the original sample was. So the, so there was a lot of DJs that were putting out mixtapes that were just like soul, Mm -hmm. soul music with all the original samples. And then you're like, Oh, I love this mixtape. You know, it's all about your mixtapes. Now I forgot what the original, Oh, the original question was how, I mean, that was, that was what turned me on to my DJ career. (laughs) So you went from kind of like popular rock, popular radio rock, right? to some underground stuff because you were able to go to these places and hear this electronic music. And then someone gave you some CDs of some like hip hop. Yeah. Non-popular hip hop, which. I mean, at the time, none of it was popular. I don't think hip hop was on the radio at all. Really? Yeah. There was K-Day back in the day. There was K-Day. And there was some popular stuff, right? But but like De La Soul, you know, there's because their music was so sample based. I know they had difficulties putting their music out mm. there because there were so they many. They sampled Chicago. Did they really? Yeah. Do you know which song? They sampled Saturday in the Park. What a, what a great song, by the way. <laughs> uh, I was I had another guest on a guy named Justin Portis, a friend of ours, um, used to be a co-worker of Leah's, and he was making the case that Tower of Power has the greatest horn section <laughs> of there. And I was like, I don't know, Chicago had some good horns. He's like, yeah. I was like, no, they did. They, they, were, they were a powerhouse. I think the fact that um, Earth, Wind and Fire and and um, Chicago went on tour together for many of of time over the past decade kind of shows you that they definitely have a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. They had a thing. I, and I, I don't I, I don't think he was even arguing against it. I think it, Tower of Power was his jam. So <laughs> Tower he just, Power is he just kind of dismissed what I was saying about like other people who are right, similarly right. awesome in the era. He's like, oh, no, but Tower of Power. He's like, I got vinyl. <laughs> I got vinyl behind you, a wall of them. <laughs> one of the songs in yeah. one of the playlists you brought up, I actually wanted to talk about a little bit. Okay. Let's uh, it's by it. an artist named Crystal Waters, yep. who also came from a musical background. Her parents were musicians. Um, I know nothing about her, so lay it on me. That's all right. I, I did a little lay bit. Of, it on I, me. I did a little bit of research today. <laughs> so Crystal Waters, uh, she came from a musical background. She was a poet. She was mm. like invited into some like National Poet Society as a fourteen-year-old, and then she studied the sciences, and she started singing on the side. And her first song was "Gypsy Woman." Gypsy Woman was the first single on Waters' debut album entitled Surprise, 
Waters and Neil Conway wrote the song with the intention of giving it the singer Alternate, known for the dance hit Free. But when the production company heard Waters singing on the demo, they insisted she keep the song for herself. The song was released in 1991 on Mercury Records. She was singing on the side while she was studying, like for fun, or just. She got exposed to it um, after so she was working. She was, she was like, like she was like working a, a government job or some sort of what? like engineering job, and oh, was yeah. like, oh, I've always had like you know music in my life, and people are like, oh, you sing, you should check this out. She's introduced to the Basement Brothers, I think, who produced That's this cool. particular yeah, song. Yeah. And this first song of hers that she recorded, Gypsy Woman, mm-hmm. parentheses, she's homeless, which is interesting. Uh, was like a hit worldwide and is widely recognized. Widely. I'm and gonna... for me, I put it in that playlist, uh, um, in terms of like, kind of like my high school influences at the time, mm-hmm. because I was like, when you asked me to think of a song for like what was influential, it was like, where was I? Like, what songs really put me in a place? And I'm like, I remember that. Like, I remember that. I remember when that came out. I can remember where I was and that group of people I was with and how we played it over and over. And it was like, play it again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it was for the genre, like the era that it came out and the genre is coming out of, even though it like kind of crossed over commercially was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Just real quick, that song or those songs for me were Nirvana. Oh, Nirvana. Was, was Nevermind. Oh, I love that. I love Nirvana too. Oh my yeah. God, I didn't put that on there. That's okay. <laughs> so I, so my dad was a jazz musician, like strict mm. jazz. He wasn't really into anything else. You know, Bossa Nova, all the like subsets of jazz. I played the saxophone and then I, I transferred schools from my elementary school to a junior high for a program. And my buddy Tyler, he was like, hey, I got a CD. I want to play you this oh song. Gosh, and he played, he played Smells Like Teen Spirit for mm-hmm. me, which blew my mind yep. you know and coming from like oh i've heard like the greatest jazz music of the right. era my dad played with billy higgins like wow. kenny burrell cool. like these these were contemporaries what? of his so i i you know i was exposed to some like fired legend jazz musicians and i'm like what is this what is this down to down you know this nirvana was like everything mind blowing right yeah 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 and then and then stone temple pilots after that you know and then um Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Which was like. Can I say that in San Francisco, <laughs> I went to a concert and it was Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. No. <laughs> you... Imagine. No. And I think Nirvana was the opener. They were like, oh, here's this new band. This new, this new grunge band. Yeah. Be nice to them. Following up, you know, on the Pearl Jam coattails or whatever. Unreal. Yeah. So those 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 are like the bands that influenced me away from what you know I had first been into, and then I went on to play in ska bands, and I kept playing mm, jazz music. Yeah. But um, for me, I was like, oh, the era of junior high was Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden. Maybe. So what do you play? What's your instrument? Me, uh, I grew up playing the alto saxophone. Sax, but yeah. in, so you that's what you played in those bands, sax. Yeah, and cool. a ska band. Sick. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was it was fun. We we had we had a little rage. We'd get some mosh pits going sometimes. Cool. So the song is called "Gypsy Woman." Parenthetical, she's homeless. Yeah. It was originally titled "Gypsy Woman," and then no one was paying attention to the lyrics. This is what Crystal Waters said. She said, "No one's paying attention to the lyrics, so I'm insisting on putting she's homeless in the parentheses because that's the important part of the story I'm telling." Mm. It was about a woman that she saw on her walk to like get coffee between like recording gigs or something like that, who was out singing on the sidewalk asking for money, mm. begging for money. And at first she said, I was like, why is this woman begging for money? I'm not gonna give her any money. And then someone told her, she said, oh, that woman um, was fired from her retail job and she knows she can sing, so she wants to sing for money, but she says if she's gonna put on a show, she needs to look good for people. Mm. So she has a full face of makeup, her hair is done, and she's like asking for money, you know, because she has this talent. She's been she's been fired from her job. And so the reason she wrote those lyrics, because she's like, this woman could be any one of us. Any one Anyone. of us could lose our job. Yeah. And she has the dignity to put on a face of makeup and do her hair and sing rather than just beg for money. She wakes up early every morning just to do her hair now because she cares, y'all. Her day- 
And almost like that's actually sad, but then the beat is completely opposite and it's a dance track. And everyone's like, I want to dance to this. <laughs> violent yeah, Femmes oh, are famous for, yeah. Oh God, I love the Violent Femmes too. And like, so love them. we were talking earlier, like, so there's a lot of artists who put out like songs with like political messages, like social, social messages, right? Mm-hmm. That are just the music, the musicality, the sonic like quality of it is so good that people are like, yeah, 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 cool, Zach De La Rocha, Rage Against the Machine. Oh, we're gonna well, we're gonna vibe to this at our houses and not fight. My my kids were really into Twenty One Pilots. Okay, I don't know if you've listened to it. Mainly, anyone over a certain age is like, oh, that's so cheesy. But because my kids would listen to it all the time, I got really into it. I like love Twenty One Pilots, and he is the king of that. Where really? the beat okay. will be super happy and he's singing about depression and not being able to open his windows and like, yeah, it's so wild. And I'm like, this song is so happy. Yay. And then you listen to the lyrics and you're just like, wow, that's, I think that's what made me like really stop and take a listen to everything they were doing. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of those hip hop groups from that era were saying stuff. I mean, they, you know, I don't know about rap today if they're still saying as much about the world they live in. Um, versus their acute world here's versus the what world. i've discovered about like modern day rap and first of all people have really strong opinions about it i like a little bit of everything because like i said i like some ratchet hip-hop <laughs> <laughs> take me to the club <laughs> but there is a whole bunch of like what we used to call backpack rap or whatever there's a whole nother level of um hip-hop too there's different levels of it so i think when people are like i don't like any new hip-hop at all like i think you should take a look and see what's out there do you you got any artist names for maybe overlooked um new hip-hop artists who people be like and i don't even know off the top of my head i mean i i do um (laughs) it's funny there's like a channel on my in my car that's literally called backpack rap that i hearted and saved because like i find all kinds of people i didn't even know and i'm like these are new artists this is crazy and I'm so bad at remembering That's okay. new people off the cuff. So but. so delve a little deeper than what they're playing on the popular radio, which is... Oh, 100%. Like, you'll never hear it on popular radio. You're never going to hear it at the club. I mean, you know, you're only going to hear this by looking for it. So it sounds like at a few points in your career, you have found really cool stuff by delving deeper. Oh, a hundred percent. You're like, and the popular also, stuff is fine, right? But like, it's that's really funny because I make a living playing pretty, you know, giving it to the masses every weekend at, you know, private events, blah, blah, blah. But I really like music that like generally I could never play out. Maybe it's a little bit too hardcore punk or it's a little bit too weird or it's a little bit too like, like hardcore techno and there's like a special place for it that like maybe it's only in my head or <laughs> well it exists in the world so there must exists. be more yeah. than one place there's for it. other people that love it just as a general like aside i love when people have been in the game for decades yeah and they're not just like still touring because they're a super group but they have like they like are still doing it they're like no i'm a musician this is what i do i go out there and i perform for people yeah and I was fortunate enough to have like a few hits so people re- recognize me and ask yeah. me to come out and perform, but they're not like, I'm out, you know, peace, deuces, I'm gonna go retire on my farm and wherever people have farms. People probably <laughs> don't have farms. Farms are really, farm, farming's really tough work from what I hear. Yeah, you have to use a lot of water, it's hard. <laughs> a lot of water. We don't have a lot of that in California. <laughs> no, but yeah, this, I mean this song, and I think it, even, no matter what, you can throw it in for a moment yeah in any night is this in is this going to be in your next set when you perform next i don't know so i have this weird thing when something gets really popular it depends what time my set is playing who where i'm playing in between Mm -hmm. um and who i'm playing for if i can get away with throwing it in or if it's like i don't know it's very popular right now strangely enough so you might not want to include it because of its popularity yeah, because um, depending when I'm playing, like it might just not be appropriate. Gotcha. Okay. And it, where I'm playing again. So if I'm at my 
kind of um, parties that are the private events that I throw, it could throw it in any time. Like yeah. there's certain songs that I recycle over and over and over and they just hit. They're just universally time. accepted and loved. And it's yeah. Like, and everyone's like, Oh my God. Yay. Yeah. You know, like Robin dancing on my own. What is it? Robin dancing on my own. Mm-hmm. I think I play that at every gig. Dancing on my own. Yeah. Robin. <laughs> no, I'm going to pull that up next. <laughs> um, but so like, yeah, I could go from that to this yeah. easily. But if I'm doing, you know, like my electronic kind of house set at one of these clubs in LA and I'm the opening DJ and there's a huge headliner after me like Clapton or Armin Van Helden, <laughs> then You're not I have to rethink the whole, yeah, I'm playing an opening set. <clears throat> there's definitely a protocol to the opening DJ set. There's definitely a BPM that the headliner prefers you to stay in. And then that would probably not be the most appropriate song to play. Is there a Um, protocol as dictated by the headliner or like an unspoken protocol that you're like, I should follow this. Oh, there's an unspoken slash spoken slash people will talk shit about you protocol. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. So you can't, so it's not just, I know what to play. It's like you have to be savvy enough oh, yeah. to play the appropriate music for the appropriate occasion mm-hmm. given the event, the people you're performing with. If wow. you're in a big club, whether it's like electronic, hip hop, whatever it is, you have to think about that. It's like what's popular right now? What is what is the you know, DJs after you gonna play? Um, what's a good opening set? So like in my hip hop, days like days when i play hip-hop clubs (laughs) bars i don't play big hip-hop clubs anymore but i'll do bars if someone actually asked me to do the opening set i'll probably do soul reggae throwback 90s hip-hop and leave the like other heavy hitters for the dj after me so you omit like the fun stuff that they you know they're gonna want to hit um so you don't step on their toes quote unquote i don't know about fun Let's say that everything is fun because I, it just opens up. <laughs> it, I'm like opening Touché. DJ Touché. set at a hip hop club or a bar. Sorry, I don't really do hip hop clubs, so I'm going to take that yeah. out. I do, but I have do do bars. Okay. That opening set is fun because you can throw a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. In in electronic music, like I actually had someone say, "Don't go over 125 BPMs," and I was like, "Ooh." That's a that's a good challenge because most of the stuff for a club night that's a big club night is 126 BPMs and higher. And is that because they wanted to do stuff? Well, it keeps you out of a range. Basically, I I feel like by someone telling me that, um, I was like, oh, you're keeping me in a pocket. I, I get what you're saying. Mm, mm. Do you? It, have it's B- a nice you- way of saying, don't just don't <laughs> like, do you have beef do, do you have beef with that person now no 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 not at all i appreciate there's it there's no alley no alley fights i appreciate it for those of the people who aren't as savvy um bpm stands for mm-hmm. what exactly beats per minute so that's basically the speed of the song the speed of the song right? the rhythm so i got a dubstep dj buddy okay bear grills oh bear grills is dope bear grills yeah. um <laughs> and his so I don't know how many beats per minute his stuff is. It's, it's, it's up. It's up. Yeah. But it's, it's a lot of syncopation, a lot of like mm-hmm. three, four, a lot of, it goes back and forth. It's not fast though. Dubstep, so, I would argue that dubstep isn't high here's, beats per here's, minute. Here's the thing. Okay. This is what I love. The minute you get to about 130 BPM, you're back at 70. Yeah, you divide it in half. So where are you when you get to that? So I have, there's certain songs like um, Big Pimpin', um, Mm -hmm. Drunk, Drunk Pony. These songs, like when my, when my um, Serato or whatever record box puts the BPM for me, like it'll sometimes say 70 something. Sometimes it's at 135 or whatever. Yeah. Like, it, and then you, so you're at this weird thing where are you grooving fast at 130, whatever, or are you like moving your hips slow mm-hmm. at 70, whatever? 
Which is kind of kind of like what dubstep is. It's like fast yeah, and slow. Yeah, so it's like, where it's, are you with that beat? But it's also multiple time signatures. So it's like a weird, like, I don't know how your personal feelings about dubstep. I think every genre of music mm-hmm. has cool stuff and has its place. Totally. Someone once described dubstep to me before I understood what it was. He's like, <laughs> it's like dinosaurs covered in armor with laser wow. with laser beams and <laughs> missiles fighting each other and maybe having maybe maybe fooling around oh a little bit my gosh. i was like and then i heard it i was like this is a really accurate description wow. <laughs> for dubstep i actually love that i'm only gonna ever picture that in my mind <laughs> so you had people say stick to 125 or slower bpm because they want to do the 126 and higher yeah, energy yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. okay yeah um that's pretty cool. I want to play this Robin, this Robin song. Cause... Somebody said you got a new friend. Does she love you better than I can? Yeah, when you hear that bass line, uh, I love to take that baseline the first like four bars and loop it in a loop and throw it over whatever the song is before it and you cut the bass like filter the bass out and like bring it in as a hint mm. and anyone that like really knows the song you can see them on the dance floor go oh my god oh my god is she gonna do it you know and then like you open it up the bars to eight bars and then you can get that and then you keep opening it as you, you introduce the song I love it so you pay that close attention to the people in the crowd when you're doing stuff like that yeah I always wonder because I hear stuff like that and I'm like, do they know? Are they, do they, do they get the feedback from me recognizing this intro or this like callback? Yep. That's sometimes, cool. sometimes people are lame and you get nothing. Yeah. I don't know this song. That's so funny. That's okay. Is you don't, it okay? You don't need to know this song. It's a good song. Yeah. Dancing on My Own, written and performed by Grammy-nominated artist Robin, was released in 2010. The song tells the tale of a woman in a club observing her ex-boyfriend with another woman. The song has been called The Ultimate Sad Banger, and was placed in the 20th spot by Rolling Stone on their 2021 Top 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list, just behind John Lennon with Imagine at number 19, but ahead of Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit at number 21. I mean, when you get to the, like, my blue-collar blue collar DJ gigs, it's not a bad one to pull out. When is your next gig? Sunday. Sunday. Private gig? Private gig. Do you like doing private gigs? Yeah. I mean, that's, like I said, that's, like, kind of my bread and buddy, butter. We have a, a company that's, like, an, a DJ kind of agency called Hot Mobile Disco. Um, and that is what I started to allow us as a group to kind of promote ourselves into that world so as a dj that's what's kept me going is being able to play private events and know maybe that sometimes they're not the coolest quote unquote or whatever um my snobbery went out the window a long time ago when i realized that i like needed to make money and i didn't want to i guess compromise my dj gigs or my dj lifestyle um you know, a lot of people had to give up DJing and actually go to work because because of that. So um, I took well. And also, I think that by starting my own kind of like DJ company, it allowed me to have control of myself rather than being like, why aren't they hiring me? And nobody likes me. And um, it also helped me to not have to do bar gigs six nights a week for like 150 bucks, which is a grind and a half. And almost anyone that's lived in a big city and became a DJ has had to start that way. And it either breaks you or you break it. <laughs> I want to hear about this. You breaking it. What is I that broke story? It. You broke it. You broke no, out. I just realized that like, you know, in big cities like this, you can get paid a lot to do these private events, but you do have to have a certain, um, it's, it's getting into more of the event industry world and having um, good connections and building relationships. It's more of a real job than yeah. um, being at the bars or whatever. Well, good on you for figuring out a way to keep your 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 personal 
passion DJing for lack of a better term yeah supported by still DJing like yeah. that's that's, a, that's <laughs> there's so many artists and creatives who are like how do I survive how do I survive yeah. without going to get like you know a job you know if you're if you're lucky enough to get one how do I support my art by doing my art yeah <laughs> which is you know you crack the code on that so hats off to you and look it's hard it's it's definitely like you have to you're like anybody that works from the self and is this uh in the gig economy you're definitely weighing out like how many gigs do i need to hit the mark where i'm like paying bills and mm-hmm. doing you know doing these you know keeping everything afloat and so yeah Okay, so I have a question that's germane to the the title of the podcast, Before the Fade. Okay. You've recently gone through a course on music production. Yeah. And I'm not familiar enough with electronic music um, to know if many songs fade out at the end. <laughs> I know a lot of Prince songs do. I know there's a lot of popular that's songs. so funny. What was I listening to? Yeah, a lot of old stuff. I think I was listening to some Yacht Rock song, and it's just like, Oh, every fade out like, was so long, and I was like, "This is genius." Every Steely Dan song <laughs> yeah. fades out over some solo, like and I'm an, like, "What are they for one minute?" Yeah, a solid minute. <laughs> I, I make the case that Freebird is probably like the one song that didn't fade out, <laughs> but could have faded out for like several minutes because the guitar solo was going for so long. That's funny. Um, did they talk about fades at the end? Is that something you're aware of now that you're going to start making music? What do you think about fading at the end? That's so funny. I am such like a DJ. I just like, I'm all about the hard stop with like a, like a little echo reverb delay. <laughs> or like one last little line of the vocal at the end, you know? Yeah, yeah. We're well, going to have to start thinking about that now. And I know maybe this isn't like the right you genre, but... For you, I'll make one song where it slow fades out. Okay, so now that we're talking about it, thank you for offering I that. like the... So I think that like what I've tended to do, and I, I call myself a baby producer, I'm not going to toot my horn and be like, I make music now. I'm the shit. I'm learning. And I, I just learned this program. I love Ableton. I'm such a fan. But I love taking away, and that might be the DJ in me, but like taking away elements of the song and same with bringing the song in. So it's like you're taking away elements until you have this one little last sound or groove or moment. Mm. Moments. I feel like it's about moments. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to check back in. Um, in six months okay and be like where's my faded song where are the elements that have been removed from the end of the song okay we'll do that i want to know what yacht rock song you were listening to i wish i could remember right now but because they do fade they do so I've and talk- that's like the best example is yacht rock i feel like the yeah. slow fade and they and in, in, in my observation they usually are fading on some like crazy guitar solo or crazy saxophone solo <laughs> that isn't a featured part of the song yeah but as a as a you know the instrumentalist i'm like oh i want to hear what they're doing musically because yeah. it's cool and i've heard the the hook i've heard the chorus now they're like getting crazy you know they fade on the craziness <laughs> and i'm like oh man this is i actually I, i've told the story before i unfade songs i turn the volume up Oh, because you want to hear, you're like, where is this going? Really, they're like, can you do something cool while we fade out? Yeah. And that's like the most amazing moment for the musician. I think Prince and Steely Dan are my two favorite artists who have so many fades on their songs. And (laughs) with a lot of Prince music, you can find the album, you know, there's the radio edit, and then there's his own cuts, which go like nine, ten minutes sometimes. Wow, I love it. And you get to find out what happens after the fade which is true. my real obsession, what happens That's after the fade. That's true, because it's a radio edit, so it's the, they're just fading it out. Yeah, there's more music to be heard. Mm-hmm. That's where my real curiosity comes from, is what Ooh. happens. So if you make a song that okay. fades out, you have to like... I'm going to make sure it's really long first, and then I'm going to fade it out at two minutes. This is amazing. <laughs> You're my favorite guest. You, then, <laughs> this this is amazing. Give you more. <laughs> Actually, really good um, advice to like most people, because right now everyone's attention span is short. This is advice from one of my production teachers. He's like, make your song real short and makes them want to go play it again, which means you get more plays on Spotify if they want to turn around and play it. But then you have the extended version can come out later. And and you have the fade. And you have to have the fade though. So we got a couple couple more questions from producer, question. from producer Leah. Yeah, who gave you Ooh, your turntable? Do you know the answer to this? Or are you really asking, oh my God. This is going to answer a lot more, take us to a whole nother area. But my turntables were given to me by my stepfather. He wasn't my stepfather anymore at the time, um, who 
Kiefer Sutherland, who my mom was with for a long time, and they had my sister, and he was in my life for a very long time, still is very much in my life. But at the time, it was my 18th birthday, and I knew I wanted to become a DJ. I already started collecting records, and for Chris, well, it must have been my birthday because then I went to college. He gave me turntables and a mixer. He was like, here you go. You really want to do this? Here. And I was so excited. What a gift. It's like the first great thing that guy's done. (laughs) What, not Stand By Me or or, or Lost Boys? (laughs) I'm kidding. He's he's done a lot of great work, but what what an inspired gift. Not Jack Bauer? I mean, come on. No, I mean... (laughs) What song made me fall in love with music? Well, listen, if we want to talk about falling in love with music, it's I've always been in love with music. And so as a child, a little person, I was obsessed with listening to the radio. I would listen to the radio 24 seven. I came home and that's the first thing I did was turn the radio on and I would have it on. I would even tape songs I couldn't get my hands on. And I think... When I was in kindergarten, I was in love with Michael Jackson, in love with Michael Jackson. Like I loved Michael Jackson. I thought he was the most amazing thing over and over. I might've broke the Michael Jackson tape. And I think that that is indicative of kids from that time though. We loved Michael Jackson, right? But then moving on, you know, like I was really in, I think you mentioned K-Day, like that was the radio station. I mean, I mean, Lisa Lisa and the cult jam. I mean, all these yeah. like quintessential, what they call freestyle now, that genre that they call freestyle now that I loved, loved it so much. Um, loved the Beastie Boys. I loved the Fat Boys. I loved Run DMC. You know, it's like all this. I mean, I was really young when these songs came out and that I just loved and never stopped listening to music forever. So I would say it started young. (laughs) My last question for you. Yeah. Outside of music, who are some women who've inspired you? Outside of music. You know what? It's really funny. Like I was really inspired um, in my 20s by other women I knew that like were doing things and making something of themselves that I was in awe of because I always um, was kind of shy and I wasn't I wasn't that confident. So when I would see other women around me buying houses and then flipping them and making money or holding it down a job and making a good and excelling like in their career at a young age, things like that really inspired me because it made me feel like, okay, I can do this. They can do it. I can do it. You know? So it's like almost having a close and I don't even know if some of these girls realized it at the time they were just hustling. Do you want to give them shout outs now? Uh, well, one of one they of will them, be listening. That's how popular we are. <laughs> one girl was um, Adam's really good friend. My husband, Adam, when I met him, he had this girl, Becky. Um, and I would go to London and just be like, holy crap. She is like flipping houses. She's like choreographing runway shows. And she's like just like working her way up. I thought I found her to be influential and Um, other girls like my close girlfriends that like just got out of college and just started holding down jobs and like making it happen I'm like that because it seemed more realistic right there are people you know that are actually doing something and you're like okay I know them I could be that person too as opposed to like someone on tv like being like I love Oprah but that seems so unrealistic I don't even know Oprah like for example I don't know why I picked Oprah I should you get a car and you get a car but <laughs> oh the analogies in it you know it's like real people you're connected to versus an an aspirational figure that everybody knows who yeah. could theoretically inspire mm-hmm. without an a personal connection that's cool yeah. that's, a, that's a really cool answer and it's like you're, you don't know any of these people but it's like i they were close to me you know so yeah well shout out to becky in london flipping houses and <laughs> doing runway shows college. what an eclectic like combination of things to do <laughs> she's like a realtor on the weekend a realtor during the week and like a fashion runway like a coordinator on the yeah. weekends <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah. amazing well very cool so if you would like to know a little bit more about me I th- i'm an avid playlist builder so if you go to my website, you can find playlists and mixes and things like that. Just DJLadySinclair.com. 
Um, if you're interested in some private events that we have sound systems, we have DJs, we build packages with saxophone players and <laughs> violin players. Um, you can go to hotmobiledisco.com spelled H A U T E like the French word. Um, but yeah, check it out. There's like so much, we have so much content there musically if for a little bit of something for everyone, I think. Fades. You got fades. There be some fades. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> gonna really have something for everybody oh she's gonna take a picture before we end but this has been again this has been really great even wonderful and and, on, and all disclosure i didn't i didn't know Kiefer sutherland was your stepfather. oh my gosh yes <laughs> oh well there you go <laughs> so um my friend molly her father bought a studio space from Kiefer at some point on the east side her dad's danny elfman oh yeah yeah so that space was interesting i used to work there i interned there for not intern I, I, I got, I was an assistant in that studio. They so, called it Ironwork Studios. Ironwork Studio. Okay. Uh-huh. And he built it. I called it the Bat Cave. The Bat Cave. Did okay. you ever go there? I never went there. She told me, she's like, yeah, yeah he bought, he, she said his workspace is, was formerly owned by Kiefer. Yeah. And, and he, he lived there. It. it was a, he yeah. turned half of it into this really no windows. Like at first I was like, there's literally no windows in here. And then they put sky skylights in because it was a warehouse. It was an ironwork studio where they made iron doors and iron blah, blah. And then he, so ha the back half was where he lived, kitchen, very open plan, you know, with a couple door dividers. And then the front half was the studio, beautiful studio he made. And when he was um, kind of moving on from that space, Danny Elfman Danny bought him in. Okay. Yeah. Small world. Yeah. Very cool. I don't know what he does with the back apartment though. I'm so curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a mystery. I want to ask Molly. It's something she said never to ask about. Really? No, I just oh. made it up. <laughs> like, dang, what's back there? Some like dominatrix room? <laughs> no, it's like they're you know. It's, I'm just making stuff up. Well, thanks again. Well, did you have any questions for me, or is anything you wanted to um, like? Do you still play? So I actually Do you have shows. Where can we see you? Play? I so I, I I don't play regularly. I don't practice enough. I picked it up the other night, um, and I played a little bit. And I'm I'm I am rusty. Yeah. Uh, but I am inspired to pick it up and play more regularly. But I did play the flute for Clint Eastwood in cool. the movie version of Jersey Boys. Cool. I was cast as uh, maybe Hubert Laws. Hubert Laws is uh, one of the preeminent jazz flautists, light-skinned African-American guy. Yeah. Brilliant. And when they were casting for Jersey Boys, they said, we want a light-skinned African-American who can play the flute, who might be Hubert Laws. Because Clint, I don't know if you know this, is a huge jazz aficionado and plays jazz piano like no. nobody i've ever heard wow I did he not played know for that. us on set that day actually it was pretty wow. cool so i have played regularly but i am a little rusty i do not have anywhere that i'm performing anytime okay. soon but if i do i'll let you know and, let and if know. i record anything there will be a fade <laughs> and it will fade out on some amazing stuff <laughs> also available for sample work whatever that means <laughs> No, so I can put you in my next house track. Oh, yes, I understand. I'll, I'll, she's going to produce it. I'm just the talent. I'll just show up and do my thing. And then, well, hey, again, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure for me. And, um, and I know, like, you know, we got to hang out with you a little bit on Adam's birthday, but it's yeah. really, really nice getting to know you a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that concludes my chat with Michelle Sinclair. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Leah St. Marie, so a special thanks to her for helping make all this happen. I'd also like to thank Kevin and Streetlamp Media. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Keep listening. We've got some great stuff coming up in our next few episodes. Oh,